Welcome to News of the World. In times of total surveillance and global control, there is an outpost left for you to have to believe in. That's us. <laughs> yes. You didn't expect that coming, huh? Did you? No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I knew something was coming, but I didn't know what it was. Yeah. yeah. These are yeah. the things that come out of my mind when I'm not trying to concentrate too much. Um, so, myself, I am Tim Pritlove, and mm. uh, on the other side of uh, this funny program is Mark. Hi, Mark. Still sitting in Portugal, right? Yes, I'm doing the long sit in Portugal. I'll be sitting for the rest of the month. Wow. From the, the, the troubled uh, peninsula of Iberia. Hello, hello. Yeah, yeah, we had that. But there are other <laughs> insulas that also <laughs> quite troubled on this planet. I know. Yeah. It's very competitive with trouble on this planet. You might think, <laughs> oh, my region has problems. And then someone will come along and go, that's nothing. Look, yes. flames. <laughs> flames all over. Yeah, yeah. And that's, uh, that's the trouble of uh, Quebec. That's the trouble of Canada. Who yeah. has encountered uh, one of the worst disasters and train accidents in particular um, recorded so far when yeah. a long train? It, it's the worst in Canadian history. Uh, yeah. and, and wherever you are in the world, you probably saw this one. This surely isn't a underreported one. But uh, this, I guess this past week, there was the accident uh, in Quebec, indeed. A train that was actually coming from uh, the United States. And, uh, you know, it was a faulty break. We now know that. Uh, there have been enough days that have passed. And uh, actually, one of the reasons I put it on the news list is not only to, of course, report that, you know, there was this disaster in case you missed it. Um, let's see. What do we have the total injuries at? I think it was 50. 50 injured. Yeah. Oh, killed, actually. 50 people, I shouldn't say, oh, yeah. injured. And the side effect of this story is, you know, this was carrying oil and now there's a bigger discussion about uh, investment and transportation of oil because you know there's this tar sand project which is not actually where this oil was coming from uh, in, in western Canada and they're building a pipeline that's supposed to bring it to the United States and many people are for the pipeline because uh, well the oil doesn't come by ship from Saudi Arabia um, and many people are against the pipeline because, well, you're transporting a whole lot of oil over various uh, community, uh, landscapes and communities uh, in both Canada and the United States. And if anything goes wrong, um, this could be a huge problem. But also the process, which I still don't fully understand, of uh, tar sand oil extraction actually requires a lot of energy. So it's a very polluting uh, thing to do in the name of some kind of... I don't know, it's not really environmental, but it's like, you know, less dependency on, on foreign oil. So what I've seen and what I found interesting in the reading uh, since this accident is big debates again about, you know, this was a train. And there actually isn't that much uh, train transportation of hazardous material in North America. Um, it's, it's much more by land, uh, by road specifically. And uh, there's a question of, you know, what should it be in the future? And, of course, the Keystone Pipeline people want it to be pipeline pipelines. If you look at a safety record, pipelines look better uh, than, say, road. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, there's still big questions about when something does go wrong, is it worth it? Uh, and, uh, and that's the debate that's been sparked again. Um, and I know that in Europe it's, it's a very 
somewhat different situation. I know, for example, that trains are much more common with transporting hazardous material, uh, yeah. and I don't know that there's even a big debate about that. Well, it's a matter of sec uh, proper security measures being enforced. Yeah. yeah. And, th and that's another thing, you know, in, in post 9-11, as we say, post 9-11 uh, United States, there was a big priority to, you know, protecting certain sites that if there was an accident or an attack uh, that could be very damaging. And it was supposed to be for, for protecting trains that ship toxic or, or uh, chemical, yeah, toxic chemicals. And it turns out, like, at least according to this reporter, and I've, I've seen these reports in the past, um, this particular article in the Global Post, uh, the money went mostly to passenger rail and things like metro systems and subway systems to, to watching out for terrorism. And it didn't really go, there's not been a lot of investment in uh, w checking on and upgrading uh, both security and safety on these trains that just take, you know, material, hazardous or otherwise. So that's another sort of, you know, this hasn't happened the way it was supposed to happen or priorities have been kind of messed up. Is this uh, the final verdict that the the brake was faulty? Um, do you know anything? Because I haven't um, heard the, about anything about the uh, conclusion yet. All the articles that I've read say uh, appears to be. No one writes the words, and that's always key. <laughs> uh, it is now known for sure. Yes. Uh, but the initial investigations are saying uh, faulty brake. Someone was supposed to, I think, check this brake, and apparently the... Um, Is it the conductor? No, the chairman of the Montreal, Maine, and Atlantic Railway. Uh, oh, he places the blame on an employee who didn't set the brakes properly. Um, and then is a question of, like, is it the employee's fault or is it actually the brakes that, that were set and then somehow didn't work? So I think that there's still, there is an investigation still going on. For now, all news reports, and we here as well, will just say that it appears to have been. because. Okay, of, uh, so it could be a faulty brake, but it could also be... Uh, in, improperly applied break. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think it could be human error. So there's some blaming going on about whose fault, okay. I mean, especially so, yeah. with... Yeah. So th th that was uh, what I read uh, as well, that the, the train finally started rolling down the hill because the brakes were not properly in place, but it's yet unclear what the deal is behind the brake, if it's just malf... If it's malfunction or um, improper... Uh, way to deal with it with the brake yeah. i don't know yeah there's the, and it's also interesting like this train i thought that a lot of oil would be coming from canada to the united states but this was uh coming from north dakota in in the northern united states there in the middle uh from something called the bakken formation which i've never heard of mm -hmm. uh and, and it's bringing crude uh, um mined obviously carrying crude oil Uh, from the shale, gas, and tight oil fields in North uh, Dakota's Bakken Formation. So I've never heard of this place, and it's interesting that not only does it have uh, crude oil, but it's it's going to Canada. Uh, seems like a lot of oil is crossing that border, north, south, south, north. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, but this, for a lot of people, is is fine or or better than this long since politicized issue of getting your oil from, especially from the Middle East. Uh, although, I mean, even Mexico has a lot of oil, but uh, people in North America, especially the United States, are for many years now attached to this, you know, we shouldn't need the Middle East. We shouldn't need the Middle East. So that's where, like, even these accidents won't stop that, that spirit. Yeah. Independence. That's the most important part in this game. Yeah. 
Yeah, and never mind, you know, how dependent you are on the actual substance. Uh, they just want to be independent of countries. Yeah, talking about uh, another country that also has a very spe special relationship to independence. <laughs> uh, well, Afghanistan. <laughs> yes. Now, I thought it was fascinating, and many people have been sort of watching and going, huh, when the Taliban opened an office. I think it was their first ever office in Doha. Uh, which is kind of interesting for a group that, that is uh, sort of outlawed. I mean, it's not completely outlawed. Doha being in, in Sinai and uh, Egypt. Uh, no, Doha, is, is it not Qatar? Is it Qatar? Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah, confused. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's Qatar because now they're having conflicts with the uh, Qatari, is that how we say it? The Qatar government. Qatar. Oh, yeah, you're right. Sorry, I'm confused to names. Um, yeah. Okay, so in Qatar... They build this office, yeah. and it's, it's gotten a lot of attention. And part of, you know, first of all, it was supposed to be the representation of the Taliban. If you needed to talk to them, they have office hours between nine and three, and there's probably like a Taliban secretary that seats you, and there's elevator music. And uh, this was also supposed to be a place where some negotiations were going to take place for, you know, what to do. Because the Afghan government... Uh, more or less wants peace negotiations, very controversial, but they want to negotiate with the Taliban. Um, apparently, and this is the first story of its kind that I've heard, nothing has been going on in this office. I don't know if that means nobody's showing up, including like the cleaning crew, but uh, no one is going there and no negotiations are taking place. Uh, this happened because uh, early on there was some kind of plaque. Uh, I mean, I have the specifics in front of me, but I'm not even going to read it. Um, it was a, a plaque that was a tribute to some old date in Afghanistan's history, I think to when the Taliban took over back in, uh, what, 91? And this plaque was considered offensive by the Afghan government. So Qatar took it down because it's on the outside of the, the offices. And, and, you know, the Taliban are so sensitive, so sensitive for a bunch of tough guys. And they, they were very offended. So they, they, I don't know, they're not using the office. Some people think that they may open up an office in somewhere where they wouldn't mess with their, with their plaques, uh, maybe Saudi Arabia. Uh, I don't know. I just think Taliban, very sensitive. Uh, easily offended, I find. <laughs> no? Yeah, obviously. That, that's how it looked like. Looks like. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the picture. It's the first picture I've seen. Maybe I can link to it. The, the office, it, it, uh, it's got some interesting decoration. Kind of looks like an important building, but not too shiny, not too uh, fancy. And lots of, you know, walls and cameras. Looks a bit like an American embassy, only yeah, with a subtle. different style. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and so I don't know if this means peace talks are done, uh, clearly for the summer they, they, they're done, uh, or where they'll, they'll take place. Maybe they have to take place in Afghanistan. Uh, but uh, there goes the idea of a, uh, of a Taliban office. For now, anyway, uh, there is no real Taliban office, or not an operating one. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what you think of the idea, even, because some people don't even like the idea of a group like the Taliban having an office Where, where they hold meetings or, 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 or parties or whatever. I don't really object them having an office. I mean, if that's what they do, that's fine, you know, instead of killing people. Yeah. yeah. I, I, we're definitely not talking about an alternative uh, here. But, I mean, once people start talking, good things might happen, you know. Because if yeah. they don't... There's no way of getting out of this uh, situation. Yeah. 
So I would love to see some kind of representation come up so that people start talking. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, and of course, people should remember, although it can be argued, you know, it's not like Al-Qaeda has an office. This is the Taliban. I mean, they are a more visible, a, a, they're more than a, a terrorist group. They're not a terrorist group of, well, it depends on which country we're talking about because they are on some blacklists. They actually want to get off of these type of lists. That's one of the goals. Um, but they, you know, they feel themselves to be representative or at least supported and a legitimate option to yeah, run a I country. Mean, you, you can think of them what you like, but at least they have been running the country for a couple of years. Hmm, yeah, even if it was horribly, yes. Yeah, yeah. but they yeah. did, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they did. Yeah, um, so, yeah, that's a problem. But maybe, maybe they just had a, a, a financial problem. I don't know. I, I, I think it was an offense thing, but uh, we'll, we'll find out. We'll see if a new office opens up. Keep an eye out wherever you live in the world. See if there's any new offices that are uh, opening up and, and what kind of plaques they have on the outside. Yeah. It's important. Because uh, financial problems might, you know, lead to offices being closed. <laughs> that problem is uh, a bad one to have. And uh, <laughs> now <laughs> it's the former um, party of, you know... Mm, or it's still the party of Mr. Sarkozy, the yeah. former president, that's what I meant, from yeah. of France. And yeah, they have a financial problem, a significant financial problem, because the state denied them to, um, you know, keep the money they gave them. Um, I, I hadn't realized, like, I mean, you know, once... Hollande became the president, I admit I've taken my eye a little bit off of French politics. That usually happens after a presidential or a legislative election. I just kind of, I start looking at other countries, right? We move on with the news mm -hmm. or at least some news. And I, I'm not that surprised. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not that surprised to hear it. But, you know, there it is in writing that the UMP, which was long dominant even before Sarkozy, um, it, it has a problem. Uh, this is also, you know, Chirac's old party. They've been quite dominant in France until, well, now the era that we live in. And uh, they overspent uh, in the last election, 2012 election. And they owe, uh, what are we at? Something in the range of 22, no, I don't know. It's a couple of million. It's not, a, it's not like in the, it's in the billions, but it's, oh yeah, 11 million. It's being billed for 11 million euros, Uh, which led to the story that initially caught my attention, which is that Sarkozy, the former president, is now on Facebook uh, appealing to people directly, which I think is very modern of him, for money uh, to, to save the party because apparently they can't afford to pay back the money they're owed. The, the, what, what Tim was uh, alluding to is the fact that in France, um, you, you do get uh, a certain amount of money for your campaign. I think we call this public funds. In the U.S., People are always calling for this kind of system, but we don't really... Well, yeah, there is, there is to some extent a, a public fund uh, system. It's just not as good as the one in France. Um, and this also depends on things like how strong you are in parliament, which is, which is odd. I don't fully understand that. Um, but apparently the UMP overspent, and as a result, the, the French government is not going to cover them for that amount of money, and they owe Uh, money based on this election. Meanwhile, they're having huge problems with leadership. I mean, as soon as you lose your, your number one star or your number one star loses an election, this is usually when, when you have a crisis of who's next or what are we about? How do we have to change to win? So there's the political crisis, but now there's also a financial crisis. 
And it's leading them to, to go towards a, what I was calling crowdfunding. It's not really, well, it's, it's direct donations. It is crowdfunding, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, and they'll probably get it because, I mean, the UMP is traditionally the party of some very powerful people. So, you know, if they see it, they'll go, okay, I'll hook up my very powerful PayPal or my very powerful Flatter. They're not using Flatter yet. Yeah, but but uh, I didn't know that too. That that in France the parties get the money up front. In Germany, there's a similar system, but you get the money afterwards, um, depending on your results. And there is a minimum of yeah. uh, um, votes you have to uh, get to be to be able to apply at all. And even then, it's not a fixed sum that just depends on your uh, votes. It's just uh, you have to actually. Um, show, you know, you, you have to show that you've actually spent money and you only get back what you spent. So you still have to uh, deal with the problem that you need to have the money in the first place uh, hmm. because the, the, the government sort of matches your uh, donations. So the hmm. money you got before, you know, that's matched by um, the state I don't really know. I'm not too much into the details, but uh, it's not that you get money up front. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting way to run things because, again, I have to compare it to the U.S. Um, you know, there's no real attempt yet in the U.S. to, to make things fair. Uh, yes. We've seen it every election. It's always about, wow, who managed to break records in raising money? So, you know, France has this system where I think they're even like publicly saying they're trying to keep this sort of even, you know, the, 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 this election. So there's a cap in how much you can spend that bans large donations. And yeah, this is a, a sort of subsidy uh, for campaign spending. I mean, it's not unlimited. And, uh, and apparently, as we see, you can even get punished if you, if you spend don't too manage much. it correctly. Yeah. Yeah. And you lose. That's never good. So uh, keep an eye out for Sarkozy on, a, on a, an ad on the right-hand side of your blog coming soon or, uh, or, or somewhere else just saying like, hey, donate, donate. He's probably going to ask. And some people still love that guy, so who knows? He could, he could make the money back. <laughs> so let's uh, go to Russia with the crazy... <laughs> This <laughs> crazy <okay>. story. <laughs> this may be. This just may be. I mean, I'm not. Uh, I can't promise that there aren't sort of rumors that become stories on this program. Uh, but the word is. I caught this on the Global Post as well. The word is that the Russian security service, kind of like their um, the service that protects the president. Uh, so we call that the secret service in the U.S. Um, they're investing something like $14,000 uh, or a little over $14,000 on typewriters. And they call this part of an anti-leak effort. Um, you know, there's not too much specific information going around. They just, they want to buy old typewriters. And they say it's because they're very concerned about leaks and they want paper. And uh, I love this story. I don't know if it's real um, I, it does remind me of something that I have noticed and, and you know, what with the last few years of, of leaks and, and especially state spying, uh, I've spoken with several and, and visited with, uh, since it's summertime, reporter friends who, who work abroad and have come back to the Netherlands or, or I ran into here in Portugal. That's, that's rare, but it happens. And many people are going, hmm, I, maybe I should have a computer that I never connect to the internet with. Or there's all kinds of conversations about 
you know, going backwards a little bit, reverse, you know, towards an older technology in order to not be spied upon, in order to not, well, in this case for the Russian government, they don't want to have any leaks, so they think, well, if I use a typewriter and I just have paper, we can just guard that paper all day long. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's, a, it's really interesting because uh, as of now, I think everybody knows it's very, 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 very problematic to have any kind of electronic equipment at all. Because anything that runs with a processor, which in these days is almost everything, you know, it's more or less impossible to ensure that there is no spying on any level of the electronics. Insert a chip, you know, and yeah. once there is already uh, information available electronically, it's very easy to copy it, it's very easy to distribute it, it's very easy to put something into your... Uh, PC and radiate all the information collected 200 meters from there. And these things are being done. It's just happening. And I don't think they're going to run the whole secret service now on old typewriters. <laughs> For sure, you know. Funny thing is when you go to uh, police here in Germany, you know, we'll often find this old typewriter <laughs> still working you know it's crazy are but, you sure they're not just running the sound in the background <laughs> to make the police station look cool <laughs> we should do that you know <laughs> typewriters right. in the background here's news of the world our correspondents are standing by yeah we'll turn to you once we've typed everything down yes but so the article talks about electric typewriters and that makes sense you know that's a also, a very effective way, basically, if it's all about um, if it's all about just having it written on paper, mm -hmm. electric typewriters, same speed. You know, if you're an experienced writer, it doesn't really yeah. matter if you're typing into a computer or that. Of course, there's this correction thing and so on, but, oh, you know, good, type, yeah. good writers uh, can do it uh, with uh, not so many er errors anyway. Question is if you need duplication what you're using, you know? Are you also going back to analog copy Some copier systems that you know are not uh, based on electronics? So I don't know what to make of this story, but it's nevertheless very funny. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and it just yeah, it reminded me of a question that I guess governments are asking themselves, but I know that uh, individual reporters are asking themselves. And maybe well, I was gonna say maybe some hackers, but Depends on what you're into hacking. That reminds me of, of this uh, of this never dying joke about you know having pens in space and what the American and the Russian solution is. You know the Americans constructing this ball pen that's able to spit out <laughs> ink even when there's no gravity. You know, ah, and they yes. put an immense amount of money into this project, and in the end they come up with something. And then what do the Russians do? Yeah, they use a, use a pencil. Ah! <laughs> but it's not true. <laughs> it's not true. Oh, okay. Because a pencil has other problems. Yeah, I will keep an eye out on typewriter news from around the world, and especially if it's from Russia, because we need to find out if this is real. <laughs> Our All correspondents right. are on it! Yeah, they're looking around in closets <laughs> and auctions. Looking for typewriters. Yeah. 
Um, a little military slash weapons news, and, and I always keep an eye on that stuff, as, of course, it could affect many lives. Uh, this one out of Saudi Arabia. There's a, apparently a new missile program. It, it actually involves um, what are, at this point, older Chinese uh, uh, missile systems. Um, they're called DF-3s. And the report came out this week from uh, Jane's, which is a, a military, uh, sort of a military watchdog, old school actually, old fashioned, um, that they have or are preparing a um, ballistic missile system. Um, and, and it's weird because they got it from China in the 1980s, but they, they seem to be, uh, I guess it was just noticed now through satellite imagery that there is such a site in Saudi Arabia. And it you know it it has a range uh, where it could go two thousand kilometers, which again two thousand kilometers in which direction and and why are answers that we do not have. But of course, in the media you get and and that's one of the links I'll provide stories that well technically that means you can hit Tehran and Iran, and technically it could mean you can hit Tel Aviv and Israel. So again, you get the headlines: Saudi Arabian missile systems could hit Israel, could hit Iran. Um, I, you know, these kind of stories are always a little, what is it, uh, trying to make something bigger uh, out of what we simply don't know. But for any, at any rate, we do know that there's a, a weapon system in Saudi Arabia. It's surprisingly old, but now just noticed in satellite imagery, um, and it, it could target either of these countries, which are considered. OL enemies, or or at least you know not getting along with the Saudi Arabian government. Hmm. Yeah. But is this really so surprising? Um, you never hear Saudi Arabia lobbing threats militarily. They buy a lot of equipment. Uh, you know they're famous for that for buying the, the whatever toys the U.S. is selling, and not just apparently, right? Also China, they're big buyers. But you don't. You don't hear them saying, you know, Iran, watch yourself. I mean, you know, politically you may get it on a, on a little speech, but it's not never a threat, never a, that kind of thing. So, I mean, many countries and magazines, reporters have been watching Saudi Arabia to see, like, what are they going to do? They're, they're very powerful when it comes to money. I know from my own investigations in, in North Africa They spend a lot on political parties that are now in charge, right, ever since the Arab Spring. Well, I guess not anymore in Egypt, but they're, they're big investors in, in the political game all over the Middle East and North Africa. Um, and they buy a lot of military equipment. Now, is this some kind of long-term takeover the Middle East kind of strategy? Like, I, I don't know, and I don't, I don't really think so. Um, are they interested in some kind of a conflict with Iran or a conflict with Israel? It, I don't, again, I don't think so. But they do love to look tough, and and this could just be looking tough. Yeah. But uh, yeah, of course, the problem with looking tough uh, is uh, if anybody stupid or or careless uh, gets you know behind the buttons and uh, wants to look tougher. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I, I found it interesting that this story made a few headlines, not that many uh, this week, and um, I haven't seen a response yet from Saudi Arabia. Of course, I'm sure their response is. We like to have, we like to be prepared, uh, and that's all. Um, I also don't hear that many threats, although I know uh, politically different countries, you know, like Iran, don't get along with Saudi Arabia. But you don't, again, I don't see big statements saying, we're going to get you, we're going to launch something. 
you know, mm. as soon as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, so always good to keep an eye out on the military spending and development, but uh, I don't think this is the beginning of anything, really. This is just a continuation of, of posturing. Good. Now, speaking of China and buying things from China or selling things in China, um, this one, uh, and I think this is very interesting, you know, there's this big drug company called GlaxoSmithKline. Uh, in your bathroom, you probably have at least one thing from Glaxo or GSK. And they've been accused this week of bribing Chinese officials. They're being accused by the Chinese government, uh, which is interesting. Uh, the Ministry of Public Security says that GSK uh, bribed Chinese officials in an effort to artificially raise drug prices. And that sounds quite plausible. Um, mm-hmm. the, the allegations came out this week uh, saying that they had bribed government officials, of course, that's where you probably start, medical associations, hospitals, doctors, uh, in some of China's biggest uh, cities. And yes, the goal is uh, get those, to get those prices higher. I mean, th- I don't think this is the last time you're going to hear something like this. Uh, we all know China, big market, uh, quickly rising middle class, and uh, you know, access to different kinds of pharmaceutical drugs is going to become a bigger and bigger thing. And uh, you know, you you they, they want to make their money on it. And uh, in a country like China, the government may subsidize a lot of it, keep it cheap, uh, control prices, and that's not always in the interest of these big companies. Hmm. You're furrowing your brow, Tim. What happened? Yeah, I, I just don't know what to. Uh make of this especially when it comes i mean uh, chinese officials have been saying that they want to fight corruption you know uh, yes. for a long time and uh, i don't know i never really bought that <laughs> um because it's right. still a pretty corrupt state in that sense at least that's how it seems to me you know i'm not never, yeah. never been there i have no particular knowledge about uh, uh china nor uh, ever you know dict myself so much but that's obviously a, a, a problem that you have with countries that are run the way china is run yeah, by so, one party <laughs> yes i mean that's the ideal breeding ground for uh corrupt um systems where you don't have a democratic structure that easily can replace officials at any time so i don't know but maybe they are interested because they see the problems it causes for their economic development. Yeah. And I mean, look, when, when you, <laughs> yes, it's a one party system. Uh, but when you're such a huge country with such a large party, uh, and it takes so many people to, to run the place on so many levels, uh, you're, you're also going to get these kind of struggles with these weird statements like government accuses itself of corruption. Yeah. You know, um, which I think is pretty accurate because probably there are members of the Chinese Communist Party that are looking around going, this thing is corrupt. But they're not going to leave the party. They're just going to do internal investigations, try maybe. And then other people are going to go, uh, eh, we, can, we can get around that guy or we can get around this, this investigation. So, um, yeah, when I first saw the headline, I thought, wait, wait who accuses who? <laughs> they accuse themselves. Um, <laughs> I mean, the Ministry of Public Security accuses itself. And, uh, and of course, 
when it's a you know story of China, it's often these these very large. I mean, Glaxo is huge in the world, and um, they have a lot of power. They have a lot of resources, and surely they have they I mean, maybe more than one, but they have a plan for how to do well in China, how to you know get the most out of the Chinese market, and a lot of countries uh, who claim to be communist or, or socialist in any way. We know that the, there is. Um, uh, has been an effort to keep drug prices low and uh, not necessarily big on the the brand names. And Glaxo loves a good brand name, and Glaxo wants surely wants to be able to uh, make good money and uh, influence how health the health system works in China. So this is one way I think they're trying to do it. Uh, you know, if they get embarrassed now, that might be something to to slow down or, or uh, yeah curb corruption, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Chinese government might be extra sensitive when it comes to big uh, American companies trying to take over the market. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll keep an eye out for more companies being accused of bribery in China. <laughs> or, 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 or Chinese officials blaming themselves. I blame myself. Yeah, we could also yeah. blame ourselves of corruption. Oh, definitely. Yeah, this is a filthy spot. This We're, podcast is... <laughs> full of <laughs> corrupt moderators. This whole show is corrupt. Yeah, uh, always the same. You know, there's no no replacements ever since this podcast exists. Yeah, we vote for ourselves. Yeah, we do. That's what we do. Uh, I got a news source for you, Tim. Uh, this this week's news source. Since I mentioned the military story, and we have once had a military source before, uh, but this is a more traditional one. And uh, it's, it's a name that I think many people will recognize, although they may not know why. And that's Jane's Magazine, uh, Jane's Information Group. I mean, this has been around for a long time, since 1898. It was a very British sort of, let me tell you about who's got how many ships uh, oh, service. That's when they started their website? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At the time, like, it was just <laughs> one word per day. <laughs> Ship. Gun. Yeah. Problems haven't uh, changed. Yeah. No, and they, I mean, they actually claim, although the word open source has been abused over the years, but to be one of the few sort of open source uh, or, or objective observers of military information. And that's why, like, it's not uh, to be compared with a newspaper necessarily, but it's one of these specialty services that if there's one thing they're good at is counting the money, the vehicles, and, and the countries that are involved in, in, in buying them, the companies that are making them. Uh, so Jane's Information Group uh, actually has a couple of different branches, right? Defense, uh, sciences, and so forth. Um, but it's still around. It is, you know, of course, web-based. Um, you do have to do the login thing and may have to have an account to read a lot of these articles. So what the way I use it is I'll read what they do give for free, um, and then I'll check in the media. Uh, or actually, the media does that too. The media uses Jane's and then write stories based on what they've said. So Jane's, in this case, this week we talked about Saudi Arabia. Jane's said there's a site. It's been found on satellite imagery. It has this many, or potentially this missile system. It was the media, the, I think the United Press, who then said this could target Israel and Iran. Mm-hmm. The Jane's never said that. Um, they, they just, just point about out what, what they find. Yeah. So, so this is one of those uh, institutions out there that reporters are actually using to write their articles or to make some kind, try to make some kind of conclusions. 
Um, so I don't read it regularly, but I do keep an eye out for when there's any new reports, and they're definitely one of those specialty services out there uh, when it comes to defense and, and conflict, uh, the details. Okay. I think that's yes. an, excellent, uh, an excellent news source. Yeah, old school. So, Mark, that brings us to the end of the show already. That's true. Yeah. That's true. I feel like we talked about many different topics, and yet here we are at the end, and there's so much more news out there in the world. We'll just have to try it again next week. Yes. No, no, uh, no NSA news. No, oh, nothing. someone was spying on someone and then <laughs> Snowden got married, but you're going to have to hear it next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we will eventually uh, come back to that topic. I mean, it's... Uh, we have to go back to Egypt. Yes, it's a huge pile of information to, to dig through. <laughs> we just shrug our shoulders at it every week. Yes. And then you guys write in comments going, but... You're totally corrupt. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but make sure to aim all your totally corrupt accusations uh, on our website, uh, uh, newsoftheworld.com. Yes. You can also Google us <laughs> or search with whatever engine you prefer. <laughs> okay, that's and, it. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll be back next week. I'll still be uh, here in Portugal. And Tim, you'll be uh, somewhere in Germany. Yeah, mostly Berlin. All right. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening and catch you next week. Bye. Bye-bye.